0: Our reading from Scripture this morning is coming from the book of Micah, Micah chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. It's one of the prophecies of the coming of Jesus Christ. Micah chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops, siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel." And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. As we again prepare to hear from God, let's pray to him for his help in understanding Holy Spirit, we would pray that you would be here now to help us to understand the glory of the gift that you have given us in Jesus Christ. Thank you for your love for us. May we see it clearly as we look at these pages of Scripture. And more than just seeing it, we pray that our lives would be transformed and that we would be made more and more like our humble Savior. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this morning we're going to take a, a short break from our sermon series in Luke 9. And we're going to go back in the book of Luke to Jesus' birth. Well, actually it's the news of Jesus' birth and the way that people respond to that good news. This morning we'll be reading Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. That's Luke 2, 8 through 20. This morning we're in a a passage that's familiar to many of us. I remember as a, a child reciting this in school about these shepherds and the angels, baby Jesus, wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. But what does this passage mean? What's the point of the glorious message of the angels or the shepherd's trip to go see baby Jesus? What is God doing. The reason I'm asking what seem maybe like very basic questions is that sometimes we are so familiar with some of the stories in the Bible that we fail to see their significance. So I want to encourage us this morning to look at a a well-known story again with open eyes and open hearts. And as we do that together, we will see from this passage that God's gift of a humble Savior is the best possible news. And God causes his people to respond to that news in faith and joy. So God's gift of a humble Savior is the best possible news. And then God actually causes his people to respond to that news in faith and in joy. We'll see two basic points in this passage, that first, God gives a glorious message in verses 8 through 14, and then second, that God's people respond to his message in verses 15 to 20. So let's start with God giving a glorious message, again, verses 8 through 14. But even before we look at the message, I want to back up to look at the beginning of this chapter. This chapter is the story of Jesus' birth. And it's a very, very humble beginning. So we see very early on, Mary and Joseph are not important people. One of the ways we know that actually is that the only reason they're in Bethlehem is because of the decree of Caesar Augustus, the the ruler of the Roman Empire. He has decreed, as the most powerful man in the world, that they need to travel to Bethlehem. So they do. So Mary and Joseph, they, they are not important. And when Jesus is born... There isn't even room for them in the inn. So this new baby sleeps in the manger, a place where animals eat. This, this hardly seems like the best start for any baby. And this certainly doesn't seem to be the right start for the Son of God and the promised King of Israel. You know, Mary knows exactly who this baby actually is. God has told her through the angel Gabriel in chapter 1. So you can, you can begin to feel the tension, rise. Right, as we go from these opening verses into this message, this tension between Jesus's identity and the circumstances of his birth. It doesn't seem to fit. But as we all know, appearances can be deceiving. It is true that if you walked past that manger that night, you wouldn't have seen anything special. You probably wouldn't have given it a second glance. There was no halo I hate to break it to you, no shining light, just a young father and mother and a newborn baby. But part of what makes the amazing, glorious message of God so amazing, actually, in our verses, is that God's message through the angels shows just how great a gift God has given us in this little baby. As we look at the glory of God's message that he gives to the shepherds, part of the glory of that message is actually how he delivers the message. Look at verse 9. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, that's the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with fear. So God sends his message through a messenger from heaven. Not just another man, not even a prophet, but an angel And this angel stands before the shepherds. And as he is there, he is also surrounded by the glory of the Lord. It shines like the sun. This is the same glory that we see time and time again in the Old Testament. It's the glory of the Lord that marks his presence. It's a blinding brilliance that shows his majesty and purity. It's like the way that God gives his message to his Shepherds here is almost like he sends heaven itself down to announce the good news. And when the shepherds see this, they are filled with fear. I mean, can you blame them? Fear, this kind of fear, is the right response when sinful creatures like us are faced with the very presence of God. We don't know anything about the shepherds in terms of their their faith. But we actually know already that even people like Mary, who's pleasing to God, and Zechariah, who is a priest, when they meet the angel Gabriel, they both are filled with fear. But the good news for the shepherds is that this angel, as he comes in the presence of the Lord, is not coming in judgment. No, he has come to proclaim a message of God's grace. That shows us that the glory of God's message is also in the message itself. Look at what the angel says to the shepherds in verses 10 through 11. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. What the angel is saying is that the good news that he's bringing should turn that, the shepherd's fear into great joy. But what is that good news? It's very simple. It's the birth of a baby. I think we all can understand that to a little bit because the birth of a baby can bring a lot of joy, certainly to the parents. We've certainly found that it brings a lot of joy to grandparents, birth of a long-awaited grandchild, Sometimes it brings a lot of joy when it's been a a birth that's been long waited for, when people have been waiting and waiting for years to have a baby. But any joy that we've experienced over the birth of a baby doesn't even come close to the joy about the birth of this baby in the city of David because the greatness of this joy that the angel talks about fits the greatness of who this baby actually is. The angel says this baby is the promised King, the Savior, who is Christ the Lord. So there are four things that are true about this baby. And in those four things, is the promised King, Savior, Christ, and Lord. We see all the promises that God has made in the Old Testament about sending someone to save and to rule his people. They're being fulfilled in this one child lying in the manger. The angel says first that he is the promised king. He is born in the city of David. That's not just an accidental note. No, this is important because this is now fulfilling what God has said in the Old Testament about the person he would send. We actually just read about it in Micah 5. God's promise there is to raise up a ruler from the line of David born in Bethlehem to rule God's people forever. So he is the promised king. He is also the Savior. This child is the Savior, the one who saves, the one who delivers God's people. God has raised up many other saviors in the life of Israel, other deliverers. Think of the judges, for instance. They are called saviors. But this Savior here at Bethlehem is unique. And part of the reason he is unique is because he is also now the Christ, the anointed one, the one that God has specifically, specially empowered with his spirit to lead his people. This is the same king who God promised to send in Psalm 2. But this Savior, this Christ is not just another man. This baby is the Lord. This is perhaps the most stunning title yet in what the angels have to say. Because the angel says that this baby, this Savior, this Christ is God himself. The word that Luke uses here, Lord, that's used in the Old Testament time and time again to refer to the covenant name of God, to Yahweh. And this is the fulfillment of so many promises that God would be with his people Think about Isaiah 7 and the promise of Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel be? God with us. Well, here in this baby in Bethlehem, we see finally God coming to be with his people. This news is the good news that's going to be for all the people, all the people of Israel, who have been waiting for centuries for God to send this very baby to them God actually underlines the, the greatness of the gift that he sent by reminding the shepherds that this baby is born for you it's actually a reminder of uh, his promises in places like Isaiah 9 God there says that he's giving this gift of a wonderful counselor a mighty God everlasting father and prince of people prince of peace for you who is given to God's people. But just think, of, just think for a minute about how amazing it is that God gives such a great gift to His people. When He says that this baby is for you, that means this King, this Savior, this Christ, this Lord is given for the benefit of His people. He is sent for them and He is sent to serve them. God Himself And this baby is stooping down to serve his people. That's already amazing that God would do that. But think about who the people are. Who are we as God's people? God did not choose the best and the brightest to be his people. He didn't choose the biggest nation. No, God chose a people even who he knew would sin against him. Again, look all the way through the Old Testament. You see it time and time again. And yet, despite his people's sin, God continues to love them and he keeps his promises now to save them and to serve them. But God goes further. God actually shows the glory of his message, not just in what he says, but also in what he does by giving them a sign says, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. This sign is actually meant to support the message that the shepherds have just heard. Shepherds can go and actually see a real physical sign and have greater confidence in the message. But what a sign it actually is. You know, if, if, this, were, if this birth is really as important as the angel says... You might expect him to say, go look for some dramatic or impressive sign to show that this message is true. But it's actually the exact opposite. God points the shepherds down, not up. He says, go and find the Savior. Go find a helpless baby in the most humble circumstances, and you will know that my message is true. But that sign, that sign of a humble baby fits God's gift of Jesus Christ so well because it's really that humility of Jesus Christ as Lord and King given for us. It's that humility. He uses that humility to accomplish his work. See, Jesus did not come as some kind of proud conqueror but he came as a humble servant, taking on our nature, obeying God in all the ways that we've failed, and suffering the penalty that we deserve for our sins on the cross. If you think about it, a life that began in humility in main, at the manger ended in even greater humility at the cross. But thank God that that is true Because only that kind of humility, only that kind of sacrifice would actually save us from our sins. That's already being communicated in the sign of the humble Savior. But God's message to the shepherds gets even better. Look at verses 13 and 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now on the surface level, the message gets better because there's so many more angels. It's more amazing and dramatic and marvelous. And that's true, but notice what the angels are actually saying. This huge number of angels is praising God for what Jesus' coming actually accomplishes. That's what they're saying when they say glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Jesus's birth brings glory to God in heaven. As these very angels see the love and humility of the suffering Savior and glorify God for his plan of salvation being worked out. Just think with me for a moment about what the angels are saying. We've never seen the eternal son of God. These angels have lived their entire lives seeing the Son of God in heaven. And now they're praising God because they see the Son of God come to earth. So they're they're praising God, they're bringing glory to heaven, in heaven. But they also know that Jesus' birth will bring peace to men on earth as Jesus accomplishes salvation for us. Now, that that word peace that they use, peace is like like a summary of all the blessings brought by Jesus. In Zechariah's prophecy, right at the end of chapter 1, Jesus is described as leading his people into the path of peace. And peace, as it's used in the Bible, it's a full word, it's a rich word. It means that our relationship with God is restored and everything else falls into place. It's that Old Testament word, shalom. It's the fullness of peace. But notice that this peace comes only to people with whom God is pleased. You might be familiar maybe with older translations like the King James where it says, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That I think doesn't really capture the original as well. What, what the angels are actually saying here is that God's peace comes to the people that God loves. That's the basic idea. And that sounds good, but then the obvious question is, who are these people? Who are the people that God loves? Well, sometimes we can find ourselves thinking that God loves us because of what we do, right? That's kind of the I'm a good person lie. I've heard other people say it. I've said it myself or versions of it. But we have to be reminded that this gift of Jesus, this peace that he gives, is actually coming to those who are pleasing to God, not because of, what, because of what we do. Right? The Bible says actually that we're all sinners, so that means we're all equally guilty before God. And God does not say, he does not say to us, you know what, if you just try hard enough, I'll restore your relationship with me. I'll I'll fix everything and then the blessings will come to you. Just, Just try a little harder today. No, that's not what God says. So if we can't gain God's love, who does God love? God loves those who he freely chooses to love in and of himself. I know this is not a popular idea, but that's exactly what the Bible teaches. This is what God tells us is true think about what he says in the book of ephesians for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing it is the gift of god not a result of works so that no one may boast god shows grace god shows love saving love not to everyone but to those he has chosen when we hear those words it's easy it's easy to get upset that it runs counter to our natural instincts. But instead of getting upset about that truth, and it is true, but instead of getting upset at that, see the gloriousness of what God is actually saying right here. Actually, as you look at what God has just said Jesus is going to do to bring peace, none of us deserve any peace with God at all. It would actually bring God glory. There would be glory to God in the highest, if he justly condemned us for our sins. That's true. But in Christ and in his work, God chooses to save and to give peace. That message of glory to God for sending Jesus and of the work that Jesus is going to do for his people to bring peace, the gloriousness of that message is so much more than even one angel can adequately express. That's why there are so many angels. The host of heaven joins in because they see the amazing truth of what Jesus, the Son of God, is going to accomplish. But what do the shepherds do? What do they do with the message that they've been given? Well, in verses 15 to 20, we see our second point, that God's people respond to his message. So far in this passage, the focus has largely been on the angels and their message. Now the angels return to heaven, and the focus shifts to these shepherds who have just received this message. What are they going to do? And part of the good news of this passage is that the shepherds respond with great faith. Notice their, their first words. Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. They believe the truth of the message that they have just heard, and they go with haste. Notice how their priorities have instantly shifted. Their overwhelming priority now is not their sheep. It's not their livelihood, right? Their burning desire right now is to see what God has done. One of the things that I think about around Christmas time is the fact that so many people hear the good news, the glorious message about God sending Jesus Christ to save them from their sins. And so many people do not respond with this kind of interest, this kind of haste to see if it's true they may actually respond with apathy have you ever heard somebody say this that's nice for you to believe but i don't know it's not for me that's not the right response maybe they'll say you know what i'll respond later you know all this religion stuff it can wait until i'm more settled maybe when i have kids i can take them to church or something heard people say that i have But see, what God shows us in this passage is that he actually enables his people, the people with whom he is pleased, he enables those people to respond rightly to his message of salvation in Jesus Christ. So the shepherds respond in faith. They go, and what do they find? They found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And the reality of what they find did not put them off. See, they did not look down into that manger and say, well, I don't know, can can this little boy really be the Savior? I mean, I know what God said, but I was, I was kind of hoping for something a little more spectacular. But no, they found exactly what God had promised they would find. And when they find that Regardless of what it looks like, regardless of how amazing it looks like, they believe. And then when they believed, they immediately began to spread God's message about this child. Look at verse 17. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. Something that also struck me as I looked at this passage this week is that the angels, the host of heaven, announce the good news of great joy that's going to be for all the people, and they only tell a small group of shepherds. Did you notice that? That this great message for everyone is only given to a few men in the beginning. It's not going to all the people yet. The angels haven't kind of gone on some mass marketing campaign. There's no social media blitz of Jesus' birth. And yet right here, as the shepherds gather around that manger in this little village, this is exactly how God's message through the angel begins to spread to all the people for whom it is good news. See, God chooses to use people. He uses us, just like the shepherds, to actually spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, The shepherds aren't the only people, though, in this passage, are they? We see at least two other responses shown here. We see first the response of the people, and then we see the response of Mary. It becomes clear that many people who heard the shepherds, they respond with wonder. You can almost hear the conversations on the the streets of Bethlehem the next morning. Have you heard what these men were saying? They came in, they came running in at night, and they were telling us there's a Savior, and it's this little baby. You can hear their wonder and their amazement. And those are right responses to what they have seen and heard. Because really, if what those shepherds are saying is right about this child, then God has dramatically intervened to bring salvation just as He promised. But being amazed at what God has done does not necessarily mean belief. We actually saw that in Luke 9. Where so many people saw the miracles of Jesus and yet still rejected him. That could be happening here with this crowd. One person wrote this The report of the shepherd tickles the crowd's ears, but it may have missed their hearts. So some people respond with wonder, but maybe not with faith. But Mary shows a very different response to the response of the people. Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. It's clear from what Luke says here that that Mary's wonder is not just some sort of passing feeling. It's It's not a superficial reaction. She values what she has just learned about her own son. And she spends time thinking about these things, praying through them, meditating on the significance of what God is doing. Mary's response here is the response of quiet. Faith. The scene ends with the, the joyful noise of the shepherds returning to their sheep. Now that they've seen their Savior, they cannot help but give glory to God and praise Him for what they have seen and heard. They're praising Him for the glory of His message. They're praising Him for the humility of their Savior, and they are praising Him for the faithfulness that He has shown. When we see these responses... In this chapter, the obvious question is, what is your response? What is your response to what God has done in sending Jesus, in sending his own son to be born as a baby in Bethlehem to save you from your sins and to rule you as your king? This announcement to the shepherds is not just a nice story for the Christmas season. It's not just something that we sing about on the radio It is the best possible news in the world because we have a God who loves us so much and we have a God who hates our sins so much that He came just as He promised to die for our sins and to bring us peace with Himself again. And this humble beginning to God's work of salvation is exactly how the whole plan of salvation has unfolded. Our Savior humbled himself to the point of death on the cross. But also we saw that this message of salvation also spreads through very humble means, through these little, this little group of shepherds. And it's that kind of humility also Those humble beginnings that God continues to use today, He uses humble means today to spread the gospel, to be actually spreading His worship, even in little churches like this, which meet in little dance studios. No, God is using us here and now today. As humble as it may seem, God is using us to accomplish eternal purposes What may look small to us now, just like that baby in the manger, what may look small to us now is only the beginning. And God promises to use all of his people to accomplish amazing things that he has planned. So my encouragement is as we reflect together this Christmas on the wonder of that baby Jesus lying in the manger, my prayer is that each one of us, young or old, will respond in faith. That we will reflect on the greatness of God and we will start right now praising Him for what He's done because you know what? That's what we're going to be doing forever. This is the glorious message of the gospel for us. And my prayer is that we respond rightly. Amen. Let's pray together as we we close Lord it is great to be able to see your work for us in Jesus Christ to see that you sent your son to be born as a child to live a perfect life to die for us and to now live for us Lord we would pray that as we do reflect on your coming into this world to save us All of us can grow in our understanding of this miracle. All of us can grow in appreciation. All of us can grow in faithfulness. All of us can grow in praise. Lord, do that work. We thank you that we are being made like our elder brother, Jesus Christ. And we thank you that one day we will be able to see him and to be with him, praising him for his humility to come and save us. I pray that you would get us ready now for that day. In Jesus' name, amen.